Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Nice. Amen, amen. Did you miss me? Yeah. Well, my Martin fans know what I'm talking about. What's good, Bridge Church? How y'all doing, man? Talk to me. Talk to your boy. How y'all feeling? I told y'all y'all crazy cousin from Harlem will be back. I'm here. For those of you hearing me preach for the first time, uh, my name is Kenny. Um, As Josh said, I'm a church planner up in Harlem. Used to be on staff at Christ Crucified Fellowship, if you know that church up in Wash Heights. Um, Yeah, yeah. Show some love for CCF. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I'm a distant relative of this house. Um, I'm I'm a cousin uh, from afar, and so it's so good to be back here and share the word with y'all. Um, I, I see y'all been doing big things <laughs> since I've been here. Um, you guys, Bridge Church, done leveled up in multiple ways. Leveled up, and I see beautiful faces. Come on, let, come on, give God some, give God some praise. Leveled up in media ministry. This right here is crazy. Right? I, I, I've, been, I've been watching Pastor James and Rasu dropping bombs on Facebook and YouTube, and I'm just like, I'm ducking up in Harlem. So, I mean, y'all are killing it. As a matter of fact, all of y'all pastors are killing it. Can we give all of y'all shepherds some love? Yeah, give them some love, y'all. So, I'm hyped, y'all. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to jump into this series in Mark that y'all have been in. Um, like I said, it's blessed me from afar, uh, but... but I love the book of Mark for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think the main reason that I love Mark is Mark introduces a divine tension, right? Mark Mark introduces us to a divine tension. On one hand, Mark is a gospel of divine action. Mark uses the word immediately 39 times in his gospel. Uh, Mark is by far the shortest gospel. Uh, In fact, Mark gives us a picture of a Jesus that's always on the move. Did y'all catch that already in Mark? Mark offers us no virgin birth. Mark offers us no Christmas story. Mark offers us no eloquent theological prelude to prepare us for the pre-existing Christ. Instead, Mark begins with a prophet in the wilderness. Oh, I like Mark. (laughs) A prophet in the wilderness calling people to repentance and preparing the way for Jesus. That prophet is John the Baptist. And in fact, the story in Mark quickly shifts from one prophetic ministry to another. Did you notice that? Jesus comes to Mark, Jesus gets baptized, and then Jesus gets sent out into the wilderness where he met John in the wilderness. And then while Jesus is in the wilderness getting tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, John gets arrested, John offends power. That's what prophets tend to do. John offends power gets arrested, Jesus comes back out of the wilderness preaching with power. Look at what he says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But on the other hand, as much divine action as Mark gives us, Mark also introduces us to a Jesus that despite his hurry, never seems hurried. Oh, see, I missed that. Multiple times in Mark, did y'all catch this? Jesus is depicted as walking beside a lake, walking up a mountain, or withdrawing to a private place to get along with God. In fact, 
Mark introduces us to a Jesus that's constantly on mission and that constantly goes missing. In Mark, we meet a Jesus that lives faithfully in his role, but he's never afraid to step out of it to recharge in the presence of God. Man, I wish I could stay there, but that's another sermon. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe a pastor that had me back to preach that one. For today's purposes, today's passage shows us a Jesus that's been on the move for a while. And he's coming back to his home base, which is a tiny fishing village, village on the northern sea of Galilee named Capernaum. And basically, I mean, this is the way I sum it because I'm from Harlem and I'm the hood pastor. Basically, Jesus is coming back to the hood to chill with his woes. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. But, 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 but Bridge Church, there's a problem. There's a problem here. There's a problem because Jesus is going viral. Jesus is a celebrity now. Jesus can't just go home and binge watch Netflix. People are looking for Jesus. So he's been missing because he's been on mission. So now when he comes home, he comes back demonstrating and proclaiming the message of God as a prophet who baptizes people with power in the Holy Spirit. While Jesus was gone, y'all, he was casting out the sick. He was casting out demons, healing the sick, liberating the oppressed. And so the good news of Jesus is everywhere. And once he's spotted in the hood, dudes start tweeting, yo, he back. And next thing you know, his house is flooded. Which brings us to today's message. I want to tag today's text with the title, The King That Focuses on the Forgotten. The king that focuses on the forgotten. Matter of fact, would you bow with me in prayer real quick before we jump into this? Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this amazing passage, God. Thank you so much for um, revealing yourself to us as a king who not only loves the forgotten, but focuses on the forgotten. Uh, uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't give the forgotten charity. You give the forgotten love, and there's a big difference. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I, I can't wait to share what little you've given me um, with the hopes and prayer that it will transform one person's life in this house. And so, Father God, I know in order for that to do that, you need to get me out the way. I'm just a dust. I'm a stumbling block. I'm a hindrance to your power. So move me out the way so that your people can see you. I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. All who agree with that said, amen. 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 So I want to explore this, th this theme of the king that focuses on the forgotten through three headings. The first is the king that stays ready. The second is the king that sees the rejected. And the third is the king that sends out the restored. So first, let's talk about the king that stays ready. Look with me at verse one, how this story begins. It goes a little something like this. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, it's important that he is Jesus. Now, it's important to establish a couple of things from this verse. Number one, this was probably Jesus' crib. I just find that kind of dope that, you know, Jesus went back to his crib. Y'all know Jesus was a real human, right? Like, he had a crib. So Jesus is going home. He's going to the crib. The text suggests that Jesus wasn't just going to the hood, but he was going to his house, right? But the second thing we see is, we don't know the intention of this visit from Jesus' home. We don't know why Jesus went home, but I think it's safe to assume that Jesus went home to rest. Like I said, Jesus has been on the move for a minute. So Jesus is going back to just kick up his feet and chill. So, let's be clear. We know that Jesus is in his crib, and it's safe to assume that Jesus came home to rest. Keep that in mind. 
Look at verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. What? As Jesus is in his house chilling, all of a sudden his comfort gets disrupted by a crowd. A crowd that's so large, it fills his entire house so that the text literally says there's no more room. There's no more room, not even for Jesus. Now think about this, family. We all know what it's like to put in a hard day's work, right? Come on, we're New Yorkers, right? In fact, Fortune magazine just did a study revealing that the average New Yorker works 49 hours a week. Did y'all hear that? That sounds right. Somebody over here in the corner. You're right. 49 hours a week, the average New Yorker works. In fact, that's by far more than anywhere else in the country, maybe even in the world. We know what it's like to put in a hard day's work. We know what it's like to put in a hard day's work, and all all we want to do is come home, put our feet up on the couch, turn off our brains, and grab the remote for the rest of the night. We know what that feels like. But we also know that there's certain humans in our lives that are are intent on keeping that from happening. Kids, kids, who who said that? Y'all need to, y'all some sinners. Kids are a gift from the Lord. What are y'all talking about? But, But there are certain people in your life intent on robbing you from rest. In fact, in fact, let's take it all the way. There's always something else to do, isn't there? There's always something to get home to do that's going to occupy your time. There's always some kind of distraction, right, to take you from resting. There's always something infringing on your personal space. And now before you start to feel sorry for yourself, think about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just have dinner to cook. Jesus doesn't just have a house to clean. Jesus just doesn't have emails to answer when he gets home. Jesus has been fighting the demonic powers, He's been fasting for 40 days. He's been healing thousands of people. And Jesus needs a break, y'all. Jesus needs a break. But instead, he gets a thirsty mob who probably didn't even knock, because you know they're rude. Probably didn't even knock, and they all want something from him. It's moments like these that test our character, Bridge Church. It's weariness that tells us a lot about our worship. An old Indian proverb says it this way. Whatever you are overflowing with will spill out when you're bumped. What this proverb teaches us is that the best way to know what's really inside of you is not to examine your actions, but to examine your reactions. How you respond to difficulty, to frustration, to inconvenience, to discomfort says a lot more about who you really are than how you respond when you, than how you initiate things. But here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about Jesus. Even though he's inconvenienced by the crowd, he's not ill-prepared for them. He's inconvenienced, but he's not ill-prepared. He, he's caught at a bad time, but, but he ain't caught off guard. Y'all know that, right? See, they didn't catch Jesus off guard because Jesus knows that there's a big difference between being uncomfortable and unprepared. When you go to a job interview, They might ask you some uncomfortable questions. We've all been there. But you shouldn't be unprepared for them. You should know and expect to be put on the spot and discomforted with some things you didn't think about yet. Which is why when you go on a job interview, you don't prepare for particular questions. You prepare yourself to be a particular person. 
surreal, right? You be on the social media feed trying to figure out what they're about, what the company's about. You study their history, watch all the videos you can find. What are you preparing for? You're not preparing for questions. You're preparing to be a person who can handle any, any question. So what Jesus shows us is the key to being on point in your purpose is not making sure that everything goes your way. We got some control freaks in the room, let's be honest. And we want to make sure everything goes our way. But that's not the way that Jesus shows us today. In fact, Jesus says that the way to be on point in your purpose is to be prepared as a person for anything that life can throw your way. How do you respond when you don't get that job? How do you respond when you don't get that audition? How do you respond when you don't get out the friend zone? Struggle is real, y'all. I'm just saying. I know. Got to pass a lot of singles. The struggle's real. Or in Jesus' case, in Jesus' case, what do you say when you don't get the rest you really wanted? What do you do? And family, here's what I want to press on you today. Life is not defined by how you respond to what you get. Life is, respond, is defined by how you respond to what you, when you get what you don't want. But look at Jesus. When Jesus got what he didn't want, he was ready to give the people what they needed. The text says that the crowd pressed in so tightly in his home that there was no room for Jesus. But how did he respond? Look at what it says. He was preaching the word to them. This is why he's Jesus and I'm not, right? But you missed that too. You missed that. Because Jesus was ready to fulfill his purpose. He was willing to make room for others, even if it meant no more room for himself. Jesus wasn't so independent that he couldn't be inclusive. We can't, we can't have a group this large and not have a room filled with dreams and aspirations. It just can't happen. In fact, most of us want, want to be something great in life, don't we? That's why we live in New York, right? We wouldn't live here if we didn't. For those of us from here, we grew up being surrounded by greatness and grind. We grew up we, we, we know the greatness and grind of a single parent working two jobs to put us through, through school. We know what hip-hop feels like. We know what fashion feels like. We know what greatness and grind feels like. And for those of us who have migrated here from different parts of the country, the only reason, by and large, people move to New York City is to become their aspirational self. What do I mean? Nobody moves to New York to stay what they were. We moved to New York to become what we always imagined we could be. We come here to be our aspirational selves. So this city breeds a people with a passion for purpose, doesn't it? And people trying to come up, as we would say in the hood. But let me ask you today, Bridge Church, what's your purpose? Is it bigger than yourself? Is it, is it interconnected with a story bigger than you? Or do you have a come up Christianity? The reason why Jesus was ready, the reason why Jesus was always on point, the reason why Jesus was always prepared is because his purpose was people. People were his purpose. Jesus preached to the crowd because his mission in life was to, wasn't to use people, but to love them. A perfect example is verse 3. Look at this. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Who's they? We don't know. 
See, you know, Jesus used they before DJ Khaled, right? <laughs> they don't want you to eat. They don't want you to chill. They don't want you to be comfortable. But don't miss, don't miss this, family. Don't miss how Mark introduces these four friends in his paraplegic. He calls them they, which means as important and as noble as their cause may be, on this day in Jesus' life, they are another distraction. That's what they are. There wasn't even enough time to get their names, to hear their stories, to learn their struggle, to understand what they really wanted from Jesus. Uh, 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 in fact, on this particular day, there was just another person in the crowd who wanted something from Jesus. That's who they were. But these four men are undeterred. They know that Jesus is busy preaching, but they also have a purpose bigger than themselves, like Jesus. They need something for Jesus, but it's not for them. It's for their friend, their paralyzed friend. This paraplegic was doomed to a status on the margins. Y'all realize that, right? In the ancient world, in a society with no cars, to not be able to walk meant that you can't get around. In a society without welfare, what could you do if you can't work? In a society built on worship, what, what would you do or be if you can't go to the temple and pray? But he had friends. Oh, man. But he had some friends, y'all. Y'all know y'all don't get through things in life without the person sitting to the left and to the right of you. You better hope that you have some friends. Like this man had some friends. He had some people that believed that even though the house had no room, Jesus still had plenty of room for their friend. And that leads me to my second point. The king that sees the rejected. Look at verse 4. I love this verse. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, this is the first account in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus sees somebody's face. When Jesus saw their face, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Friend, me, I love this story. I love this story. Because this story has two things in it packed within this verse right here that will change your life. Two things right now today. If you don't get nothing else, get this. Two things. You ready for them? The first is the power of bold belief. The power of bold belief. And the second thing it has is the power of a new name. Oh, man, y'all not ready. Y'all are not going to help me preach today. Let me talk about the power of bold belief for you for a second. Look at what's happening in the story. Here's a vulnerable, broken, desperate man that, doesn't, that the crowd doesn't even see. They won't let him get close to Jesus. They're too busy thinking about themselves to even turn around to see this paralyzed man trying to get through. There's literally no room in the house for this man. So his friends look, look up and see a roof. Now, now, ancient Near Eastern roofs were made out of sticks and branches combined with clay, which means that the only way to get this broken man into the presence of Jesus would demand for them to scale a house carrying a man's entire body. That's crazy in and of itself. Scale a house carrying somebody else, right? Then they would have to dig a hole once they got on top of the roof, because the roof ain't just have, this wasn't no sunroof, y'all, like, this was 2,000 years ago. They got to dig a hole to get through the roof. 
Then they had to rig a contraption to lower the man down safely into the presence of Jesus. Think about the effort. <laughs> think about the love. Think about the faith. But now think about Jesus. First, Jesus is inconvenienced by a crowd that's disrespectful, completely invading his personal space. Now, Jesus is preaching his heart out. He's preaching the word. And all of a sudden, he feels some particles falling. And then some more. And then he looks up and sees the sun blinding him. And then Jesus discovers there's a paralyzed man coming down his own roof. His own roof. Jesus is being disrupted in the middle of, a, of his sermon by a group of men lowering a paralyzed man into his presence. But family, this teaches us something today. And if you don't get nothing else from the sermon, if you're going to text the rest of the sermon, stop texting just to hear this. <laughs> stop texting right now. Here's what I want you to take from this particular story. Jesus is always willing to be disrupted by the desperate. Jesus is always willing to be disrupted by the desperate. Jesus is the king that leaves the 99 for the one. Jesus is the king the willing, willing to have his agenda interrupted for the insignificant. And the reason why Jesus is willing to be disrupted by the desperate, the reason why Jesus is willing to be discomforted and disdained ultimately on the cross is because Jesus' Jesus's agenda was to empower the disempowered, to liberate the captives, to bring justice to the marginalized, and to bring healing to the broken. Jesus was willing to be interrupted by the vulnerable because Jesus came to bring victory to the vulnerable. He came for the vulnerable. And listen, this is why I'm not Jesus, y'all, because I would have lost it. I, I, I would have lost it. I, I, I would have been like, oh, you just, you. yo, get up and walk. Now go fix my roof. <laughs> like, you crazy? Get up there and fix my roof. They ain't got no state farm and, and, and Geico. Ain't no house insurance in the first century. You better get up there and fix my roof. It's about to rain tomorrow. Better stop playing. But Jesus not only heals a man that interrupts his sermon, he does it at his own expense. Ooh, wee. Do you know today that Jesus is still willing to be disrupted by the desperate? Does somebody in this house know that? Are you broken? Are you forgotten? Are you thrown away? Are you unwanted? Well, come boldly into the presence of Jesus because there's nobody else that's going to do you like Jesus. When the world ain't got room for you, guess who got a room for you? Guess who got a spot for you? Guess who got a, a nice cozy seat right in the middle of his presence? Jesus Christ. He always does. But here's the second thing. Here's the second thing this verse shows us. It's the power of the new name. Wait, wait, hold up. Wait, but look at this, y'all. Because, but remember, family, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods now because as you come to Jesus, just know, just know that he might not give you what you expect. Because Mark says that when Jesus saw their faith, the first thing he said to the paralytic was what? Not get up and walk. Son, your sins are forgiven. What? 
Jesus says the response to this man need is shocking. Would you, you would expect the passage to go like this, right? Jesus is preaching, and, and then Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, get up and walk. That's what you'd expect to hear. But instead, Jesus does something confusing, doesn't he? Ah, but wait. Look back at verse 3. What was this man's name before he encountered Jesus? What was it? We don't know, but we know he was identified as a paralytic. But after this act of bold belief by this man and his friend, what is this man's new name? Son. Jesus took a man that nobody wanted and made him a son. He took a man with no name and only suffering and called him a son. This man came to Jesus for a new body, but Jesus came to give him a new identity. Don't clap too hard. What's your name? What's your name? No, I'm not talking about what your mommy and daddy named you. I'm not even talking about the nickname that Ray Ray and Lil Duckets on the block gave you. I'm talking about the name you received from Jesus. Have you heard him call you son or daughter? Or are you still being named by your past? Are you still being named by your pain? Or are you still being named by your paycheck? What's your name, Bridge Church? If you don't know yourself today as son or daughter, then it's because you've confused your most immediate need with your most important need. Notice what Jesus does here. Notice what he does here. He doesn't speak first to the man's most immediate need. The text makes it clear. His most immediate need is to walk. Everything is driving us towards that conclusion, right? Instead, Jesus speaks first to his most important need. The man's most immediate need was to get up and walk. But Jesus, no doubt, surprises this man and his friends when he does the unthinkable. When he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. That statement would have undoubtedly shocked a Jewish audience. Let's go to the first century. The Jews are people completely averse to idolatry. Idolatry is taking God's name in vain. They knew and believed deeply that only God has the authority to forgive sins. Only God. In fact, they had rituals and a sacrificial system to remind them of that. Everything they did reminded them that only God can forgive sins. So for Jesus to say, son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is for Jesus to blatantly say, I am not only a man with power to heal, I am God with power to save. See, Jesus is saying something important for us today, y'all. Important. He's saying that he's not only the source of your most immediate needs, he's also the source of your most important need, which is reconciliation with God. But how can Jesus forgive sin? How can he look to a broken son of God and call him forgiven? Well, it's only because Jesus is the true broken son of God. Jesus is the Son of God who takes on himself humanity's spiritual and physical paralysis. We were unable to come into the presence of God. We couldn't walk in his shoes. We couldn't walk into his presence. And Jesus Christ on the cross took it on himself. He took our, par- our paralyzed state. He became the spiritual cripple. He became what we could not in order to call us children of God now. See, Oftentimes, our problem is 
It's not what God has given us. Our problem is not even our circumstances. Our problem is that our requests are just too small. They're just too small, y'all. We want a new job. We want a new boo. We want a new house, a new body, and we think those things will fix us. We think that. We really, 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 really think that. We think that those things will finally help us feel pretty, that those things will finally help us feel loved, that those things will finally help us feel accepted or successful. But here's Jesus telling you today, yes, I care about those things. I care about your immediate needs. I care about your loneliness. I care about your bank account. I care about your self-image. But that's not your most important need. Today, your most important need is not a boo, it's me. You need me today. Why? Because I hung on the cross rejected for you. And when I hung up there, there was no crowds pressing on me. There was nobody that came for healing for their immediate need. There was nobody that came for a new relationship that day. There was nobody asking me to help them get a new job or a new career or get into that school. There was none of that. In fact, while I was up there hanging, I was giving myself for you to show you that despite what you get in the immediate, I'll always be with you in the, in the important. Family, this, this text forces us to an honest point of self-reflection. You got to get real today, Bridge Church. You ain't going to leave here faking. You're going to get real today. It forces us to wrestle with our appraisal of Jesus. How valuable is Jesus to you? Jesus tells us that Christianity is not about divine power, but about divine presence. Of course Jesus can give you what you want. Of course he could. He might. But the bigger question is, how much do you want Jesus? That's the bigger question. What if Jesus told you he won't give you that gig or that promotion or that spouse or that career? What if Jesus simply said, I love you, I forgive you, I accept you, and I want to live every moment of your life with you? Would that be enough for you? Would that satisfy you? If it won't, then you've confused the immediate with the important. You, you thought that Jesus just wants to make you walk, but he wants to make you fly. You thought that Jesus just wanted to restore you, but he wants to restore and redeem you completely. Sees me to my third point. I'm out your way, Bridge Church. The king that sends out the restored. Now, after Jesus gives this man a new identity, the haters start coming out. Yeah, don't y'all realize when God does something new in your life, don't the haters always come out and throw shade? Here they come. Here come the haters now. Look at verse 6 and 7. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, for those who don't know, the scribes were a group of, of religious leaders in Jesus' day, and they had the authority to interpret the law of God. That's what they did. But something goes terribly wrong in the hearts of these religious leaders. Catch this in the text, y'all. Notice the details in the scene. First, the scribes were sitting. Ah, but you say, why does that matter? Okay, well, here's why that matters. Just look a few verses earlier. These are, they're, they're people who who were trying to get into the presence of Jesus. In fact, a group of four friends scaled the roof, dug a hole in it, and dropped their paralyzed friend down it just to get into the presence of Jesus. And here's some people sitting in the presence of Jesus who are there to just scrutinize and question. Let me give you something for free, Bridge Church. This is for free today. When Jesus redeems you, forgives you, and gives you a new identity as son or daughter, prepare yourself for serious shade. Prepare yourself for shade. And in fact, prepare yourself for shade that's going to come from people with a lot of access to you. There's a people with a lot of access to you that's going to question your transformation. 
They'll look at you strange. They'll scrutinize your deliverance. They'll remind you of your old name. Uh, how, how, how are you a preacher? You used to be a player. How are you happy? You used to be hopeless. How are you praying? You used to be partying. The people with the most access to you will usually be the last to affirm you. Stop waiting for it. See, these religious experts are questioning Jesus. And much like the religious leaders in our day, they get the letter of the law right, but completely miss the spirit of the law. Completely miss it. They're right. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. But they never ask the bigger question, could this be God? Could it be God? The Bible says, the Bible says that the two greatest commandments in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, Jesus says in Matthew Love your neighbor as yourself. So look at how Jesus responds to them. Verses 8 and 9. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take up your bed, and walk? Now, if they didn't believe Jesus was God in the flesh, when he said your sins are forgiven and when he did all these other miracles before this, they should have definitely believed when he read their hearts like a Facebook news feed. They should have definitely believed then. Here's why they should have believed. Because as scribes and scholars well adept in the Hebrew scriptures, they would have known John, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, which says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. It's God and God alone that searches and reads the heart. And as good Jews, well acquainted with the Hebrew scriptures, they should have known this. But they still disbelieved. So Jesus engages them with a question. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Oh man, oh man, bridge church, I, I, I think y'all missed what Jesus did here. Because notice the subtle hypocrisy of religiosity. Do you notice a word missing from Jesus' statement? Look at what he said again. I'm going to read it to you. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your bed and walk? Where's the son? Didn't Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven? He, why didn't he repeat that back to the Pharisees or the scribes when they, was, when they were scrutinizing him? This is the subtle hypocrisy of religiosity, y'all. Jesus is making an important point for everybody in this room. You know what he's saying? He's saying that religious people focus more on the word sin than they do on the word son. That's what he's saying. Notice what offends them. Notice what offends them. They're offended by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. But they completely omitted the most important thing Jesus said, which was give this broken and forgotten and rejected son of God a new name. He's now a son. See, that word son frames the way that Jesus deals with the sin. That word son should frame the way we deal with the sin, both in our lives and in the lives of others. Because, the, because that word means that when God sees us, he doesn't see a lost sinner, he sees a lost son. You're more today, Bridge Church, than the sum total of your mistakes. You're more than your missteps. Because before you, were, before you sinned, you were a son. Before you deviated, you were a daughter. So Jesus says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. See, Jesus wants this entire crowd 
including the scrutinizing skeptics, to know that he has authority. But he doesn't just have authority. He's bringing this entire crowd and this entire congregation to a point of transition. Up until this point, the crowds knew Jesus as a miracle worker. Up until this point, Jesus was known as a, 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 a healer. But, but, but Jesus wants us to know today that, that in order to really understand the power of his salvation, you have to know him more, you have to know him as more than your healer. You have to know him as your hope. See, likewise, many of us today in this room you view Jesus solely uh, uh, in context of our most immediate needs. We only seek Jesus desperately when we're lonely, longing, or lamenting. But Jesus wants us to see today that he's more than that. He's more than your loneliness. He's more than your lament. He's more than your longing. He's your life. That's what he is. He doesn't just want to heal the paralyzed man. He wants a paralyzed man to get up and walk so his feet can carry good news. He doesn't just want to give you a spouse. He wants to give you a marriage so that you can put on display his marriage between Christ and the church. Right? He doesn't just want to upgrade your career to increase your standard of living. He doesn't just want to upgrade your career to increase your bank account. He wants to upgrade your career to increase your standard of giving. In other words, Jesus' miracles aren't ends in themselves. Jesus' healing is not the end of the story. There are means to an end, a greater end, that end being that we may know that Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive, to redeem, and to restore us completely. And that authority means he's much more than a healer. He's your hope. And look at how Jesus sends out the man that was carried in. Oh, man. Look at how he sends out the man that's carried in. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed. That was his pain, his languish, his longing, his rejection. Picked it up. Carried it like his cross. And he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. When your life has been touched by Jesus, not only do you walk, but you become a walking testimony to God's goodness. When your life has been touched by Jesus, not only do you live, you become a living endorsement of God's love. When your life has been touched by Jesus, not only are you active, but you become an active recruiter into God's family. Live today, Bridge Church, in such a way that a world in need of hope and transformation sees your transformed life and in amazement glorifies God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, In this moment of your visitation to us on 4 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York, as you visited us first with the word and now with the preached word and, and with worship, may you come down in this moment and speak to the hearts of your people. God, there's somebody in this house today who's never been called a son. There's some lady in this house today who's never known that she's your daughter. There's somebody who's still being defined by their past, who's still being named by their paycheck, who's still being named by what they don't have or what they lack. And Jesus, today, I pray that they see that you are not only the God who comes to restore and meet that immediate need, 
but you are the God that comes to redeem and meet their most important need. God, I pray that somebody in this house today will leave this place today knowing you fully and completely as their most immediate and important need. Oh God, do what only you can do. Take this feeble attempt to preach your word and turn it into a transformed life. God, I pray that you do it because you will get the glory in the end. I pray that we all walk out of here and that we live lives that make the watching world say, a world desperate in need of hope and transformation, can you believe what God has done in this person's life? God, we ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.